Welcome to The Gathering Place with Blessed Is She. I'm Jenna Gizar. And I'm Beth Davis. Pull up a chair and grab a drink. Or you could just keep doing what you're doing. Pull up a chair in your heart. (laughs) Come chat with us about Jesus, prayer, community, and life. So let's get started. Hey, Jenna. Hi, Beth. And hey, Matt Marr. How are you? Hi. <laughs> it's been a while, friend. How's how's life? Uh, it's full. Yeah. Uh, but it's great. Yeah, things are going good. My kids are getting older. Kids have a funny way of doing that. Totally. We're just my wonderful wife and I are just trying to keep up. Matt, do you mind doing a little intro of yourself? I don't at all. We now uh, know you have kids and a wife, <laughs> beautiful wife. But can you tell yeah. us a bit more? I'm a singer-songwriter, worship leader, originally from Newfoundland, Canada. I lived in Phoenix for 18 years. What, what? From uh, kind of the mid-90s until 2012. And then I've been in Nashville for the past six years. I travel and write music and perform it. But those years in Phoenix, those were the glory days. Mm-hmm. The years in Phoenix were very, very formative years for me, hands down. And I will look back on them as being incredibly important in terms of everything that I'm currently doing. And I'm fully convinced that I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today if it wasn't for those years and everything that I experienced. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you. I love thinking about every single thing in our lives contributed to where we are at this very moment. You know, like everything worked together for good and for bad. To, to make us the people we are today. So I think that's really beautiful. Yeah. I mean, it, scriptures, God says he works all things together for our good. So mm-hmm. it, it's a bit of a mystery. It's kind of like this, this wonderful sweater. It is a massive collision of different ideas and colors, but it all, it all somehow works. I've never gotten so many compliments about a sweater before in my entire life. <laughs> Stop. Yeah. It's that's true. amazing. And, it's and a it's great wonderful. sweater. I was in, Spokane, Washington on a day off two years ago and I was thinking to myself man, I'm, I need like a really good sweater because it was cold there. It was you know, this, it was October so it was probably mid 40s and I'm walking in this mall thinking I'm not going to find the kind of sweater I want and then all of a sudden there was like light shining on it because yeah. literally it was actually just there was a lighting fixture <laughs> Come on <laughs> So, and it was the one. Is that what happened when you met Kristen too? It was just uh, like, ah. <laughs> no, yes, no. I mean, I do. It's funny. So, um, a good friend of ours who actually he's the one who introduced us to each other, another mutual friend, a guy named Jake Hyde, who uh, used to live in Phoenix, and he was in Nashville last weekend and. We re- I realized, looking at the calendar, I was like, you guys, yesterday was the 10-year anniversary that Jake introduced Kristen and I to each wow. other. Wow. Oh, my gosh. How sweet. And, yeah. I had, well, it's weird. My iCal is like, it goes back all the way, like, 10 years. So I have all these weird things. And we were doing this worship night at the Newman Center called 29-7. And that date was on my calendar. Wow. And so I remember meeting Kristen that day and I remember not really talking to her for a multitude of reasons probably chief of which because it was the first night of the semester and then also honestly she was very attractive and I I found that I, I was incredibly intimidated by her I swear she was wearing like this like crazy like power suit <laughs> what from work 
that was tacky, and she was like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't own anything like that. And yeah. I was like, in my head, that's what you were wearing. So I just love that. Let me keep the memory. But she's like, I own a brown dress. Was it a brown? And I was like, in my head, it wasn't. It was, it was yeah. So Those 2097 nights, they were amazing. Very, very special. Yeah. Jenna and I have lots of shared memories there as well. Not together. Okay, I have a memory there of Jenna ignoring me. (laughs) We were chatting recently just about how crazy it is that God brings all of these people back around into our lives and how important those relationships have been and those early lessons we learned in faith. So I would love to chat with you about that. Specifically, I want to talk a little bit about your history with God. So would you mind just sharing a little bit of your story with us? Like, how did you come to know Jesus? Yeah, uh, I was 19 years old. Well, I, I, I would say first and before that, I always believed in God. I think for me, I didn't know that he believed in me. And so, you know, a lot of people who do therapy work, uh, particularly who come from a Christian context, will say things like, you, you typically as a child, you imprint and you project your image of God basically from your parents. So, you know, particularly your father. And so I I had a very loving relationship with my dad when I was super young. And I remember we all we all went to church. And then actually, when I was in middle school, there was a massive abuse crisis that happened in the Catholic Church in Canada, and everybody stopped going to church. So for me, it was just sort of this thing of like, we just kind of drifted away from it. And I never stopped believing in God. It just the need to be connected to a community like other like-minded people who believe the same things when it came to faith it really was just low on the list of priorities for me and I had a bible by my bed I used to read it sometimes at night and it was probably because I was obsessed with watching the x-files so I was like trying to figure out the book of Genesis and the book of Revelation I didn't read any of the gospels or, or, you know the Acts of the Apostles. And when I was 20, my parents got divorced. Mm -hmm. I actually had to get tested for HIV because basically I got called into my hematologist's office. I'm a hemophiliac. I got called into the office for random testing, which is kind of something that pretty randomly happens to people with bleeding disorders. Anyways, they like called me back and they said, oh, we need to run a test to make sure you don't have HIV. I was like, what? And so there was this like two week period where I was really kind of scared. And I remember hearing a voice one night say to me, if you don't leave here, you'll die. And it wasn't like I audibly heard a voice, but it was just like this like sort of spiritual thing I heard in my heart. And I remember thinking, I got to get out of here. And so I went upstairs and um, my, my dad was actually at that point in a treatment facility for alcoholism. And mm-hmm. I just said to my mom, hey, I got to get out of here. I, I'm moving with you to Phoenix. So the test results came back and they're like, you don't have HIV. And I was like, okay, great. And they said, but you were exposed to hepatitis C. And they didn't really explain to me that there was a less than 5% chance that I didn't have it. I was obviously going through a lot of trauma from everything else happening in life and couldn't, I just couldn't process this as well. So I kind of left it alone. And then I moved to Arizona and this was 1995. So that summer, I just started going back to Mass, and so I reconnected with all these people that I had met, and they were all still going to church. 
So I just started going back to church. And so for me, there was this immediate sense of, oh, is this why I'm here? And then it all really kind of came to head that November at a life team retreat. And I was playing music. And the youth minister at the time was freaking out because he's like, this guy doesn't even know if he believes in Jesus. And here, and he's doing the music, but the music minister is a guy named Chris Molia who's like, no, man, I really think he's supposed to do it. And I'm playing this music. And I used to smoke back then. So I like, I'd like to play the song outside for a cigarette. I come back in and they're doing like this silly skit called the broken heart skit. And, you know, there's like a girl there and she's got her heart, which is a grapefruit. Yeah. Oh, I remember. You remember? And then there's like the football player who's a boyfriend and angles it. And then like friends gossip about her and they mangle it. And then the devil shows up wearing a pinstripe suit and like he puts <laughs> pinfoil around it. And then Jesus shows up. He's got a new grapefruit hidden it up his sleeve. And she's standing there holding this just mess. And like he takes it and he all of a sudden he hands her this new grapefruit. And like in the back of the room, I'm standing there like looking at this going like, what is, I've never seen any, like, I don't understand what's happening. Right now. <laughs> But then I saw that new grapefruit, and immediately it was like I heard the voice of Jesus say, Matthew, that's what I'm trying to do for you. Mm. And I burst into tears yeah. and ran outside and chain smoked like five cigarettes. <laughs> and the guy who was the drummer came outside and said, Are you okay? And I was like, I don't understand what's happening. To me. <laughs> so, like, for me, I always tell, like, and now I look back and I go, like, that's when I heard the gospel for the first mm-hmm. time. Like in, in the real sense of like, that's what conversion really looks like. Conversion yeah. looks like having a heart that's been pretty mangled by life mm-hmm. and God being able to like repair it all and make it new. Yeah. So to me, I look back to that weekend and look at all the different, and I that was like a major, major turning point. And it was the weekend of my 21st birthday. But I look back on that time and it, it's real precious to me. So I would say from that moment on, it's always felt like there are moments, obviously, where I'm, everything's like in right order, in right relationship. And then there are times where naturally in life, we grow lazy in our practices or, you know, we get overwhelmed by the complexity of life or just tragedy. And immediately there starts to be this sense of distance from God, you know? And I think what I've learned more and more is that that distance is all just on my end. God, God will never, ever distance himself from me or from anyone. And he's infinitely closer and infinitely more near than we could ever possibly imagine. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that I would say that, like, even it's funny, like, even just this month, like in the month of October, so, you know, obviously with all the turmoil going on in the Catholic Church, you know, and the Pope just said the simple thing of like you just asked everyone to start praying the rosary again every week or every day. And I just kinda of looked around and I was like, I used to do that. I used to meditate every day on the life of Jesus, on the joyful aspects of his life, on the sorrowful aspects of his mm. life, the glorious aspects of the life of God. And for whatever reason, just because life, you stopped. So October first came and I just kinda of started and I was like, immediately it it totally transformed my outlook. All of a sudden, I was picking up my Bible more. Hmm. I was reading Scripture more, you know? So so I think, you know, people always assume, I think they just, I write songs about God. 
or to God or about the church that I'm just always in a place of spiritual perfection. Mm -hmm. And if there's anything I've learned, it's that most of my great songs come to fumbling through the dark. Yeah. I think it's so cool. Something that you just shared in that really beautiful story is that Chris stood up for you and gave you that chance. Because I think we all want, we all want the person to be perfect already. We all want everyone to be at that spiritual peak, like you're talking about, you know, and every single one of us has something. Every single one of us is going through something. And I think it's so beautiful to have someone say to you, even though you're going through that, even though you're struggling with this or that, like, I still believe in you. And I still think that you belong here. It's not just a place for the people who have it together. It's not just the place who have really beautiful prayer lives or who hear from the Lord or who have no doubt. He stood there and said, I I mean, I don't know how it was for you, so I I might be projecting that, but I would imagine that that was really special to have someone say, like, no matter the mess, like, you still belong here. And honestly, I mean, I feel like throughout my tenure as a itinerant worship leader, I've had people who stood up for me time and time again and said, you know, hey, we should give this guy a shot. You know, I think there's always a tendency, especially in ministry, for people to just kind of build a tent and sort of camp out in a position of leadership or a position of influence and say, this is it. And it's really sad for a couple of reasons. I think the first of all, which is that you're potentially just limiting God. Like he might have something else for you that it's not about bigger or better from a worldly standpoint in terms of influence or acquisition. I mean, those things don't matter. You know, at the end of your life, you will not be thinking about those things. But the people that you loved and the people that you served and how you poured into people. And, you know, one, it was funny, the last high school retreat I ever led worship at was in where I was there the whole weekend was fall of 2004 and sitting on the porch of the cabin I was staying in I was reading my bible and I was reading for some reason I was in Deuteronomy I got into Deuteronomy when God and this is totally related to your point God shows Moses the promised land and Mm -hmm. says this is everything that you've been working for and you're not going to be the person to lead the Israelites in but I'm going to allow you to see it that's a spiritual principle. I felt like it. There was like one of those. There's only been a couple of moments in my life where I feel like God's been like, pay attention to this. Mm-hmm. And that was one of those moments because I do think that more than ever before, you always find that one person who's involved at a church or in a parish or an administration. It's like they've been there for 30 years. And at this point, everything in their life is wrapped around this position to the point that it's actually artificially sustaining their life, their ego, their spiritual right. life, I mean, their emotions. And to pull it from them is going to be the most painful thing in the world, but it's actually become the thing that's preventing them from growing into the next phase of whatever God has for them. It's no longer a place where the fruit of a healthy walk with God and family and friends, and you get to pour into other people through this outlet, whatever it is. Now it's become this thing that you're just holding on to for dear life, and it's actually choking the life out of you Mm. and out of other people. And, you know, it's like Moses. He had a vision for the promised land, and God gave him, allowed him to see 
the end goal of like, hey, this is where all of this is headed. But you're not going to be the person that's going to carry them all the way. Mm-hmm. At some point, you're going to have to hand over the torch in some way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. And I was very, very blessed early on to have people in my life who did that in very simple, unique ways. And I think, you know, even now at this phase of my life in ministry and stuff and where my kids are at and settling into to Nashville, I'm sort of looking around and going, okay, what what things has God given me a vision for? But it, I'm not going to be the one to do it, but I need to find the Joshua, mm-hmm. the people who are going to carry that vision forward. So cool. I want to know all about the vision. (laughs) (laughs) Matt, tell us about your new album, which comes out today. Yeah. Speaking of talking about the past. Yeah. I have an album called the advent of Christmas. It's just in time for Halloween. (laughs) It's well, and I, I feel like I need, I have to address it because I'm sure some people are like, why are you doing this? Like you're contributing to mm-hmm. the overall seasonal confusion that already exists in the world, mm-hmm. releasing your Christmas record in October. And, you know, a lot of it is decisions that happen in boardrooms with marketing people who sort of understand the volume and size of the amount of music that's being released now. And what most people don't think about when they look on a Twitter feed and they see, oh, my new Christmas record's coming out, they just go, bah, why? <laughs> And it's like, well, because there's probably going to be 40 new holiday albums mm. that will come out now on Christmas. And for every one of those, it's the weird thing. Every one of those is a labor of love. Every one of those has a whole set of stories and, mm. you know, special moments. And everybody's just trying to, like, hold up a sign and say, here's mine. You know, I'm, I think for me, I made this record, I think, ultimately for my dad in the sense that my dad passed away last year and he loved Christmas. But he was ridiculously melancholic at mm. Christmas. So it was like the highs were real high and uh, the lows were closed in Frank Sinatra songs that got played too loud as the night progressed. But I have so many beautiful memories. And as a, as a child, as somebody who lost their dad, I experienced last Christmas that kind of sting. Of, I didn't realize I did this, but I think everyone does it. At Christmas, you take the past, every past Christmas, and you drag it back up into the present. Oh, so true. And you end up comparing this Christmas with every other Christmas. Yeah. And then especially if you've experienced tragedy or trauma or anything associated with the holidays, those things affect your ability to engage and to enter into the season. So I started experiencing that and grieving the loss of my dad. I started writing songs, actually, on the first Sunday of Advent. I started writing this stuff, started digging more into the season of Advent. You know, the three candles are, there's three purple ones, which indicate it's a penitential time or it's a time to, like, fast and simplify and slow down. And, you know, then the pink, which is Gaudete, means joy. So it's a time for rejoicing. So... That was kind of the backdrop, but then there's this sort of ever-encroaching reality now that really, the day after Thanksgiving, everybody starts listening to Christmas music, and I kind of feel like you have two ways to respond. You either jump down people's throats and say, you shouldn't be doing that. Then it just feels like, you know, we're not the morality police. It's just, <laughs> that's not 
I mean, I know, I know Christians are called to speak truth, but it, it's just, I think there's a lot of different ways that you could do it. And I think you could also just affirm the fact that people are choosing to listen to a song that was inspired by the birth of Jesus. So you could give them a pat on the back for that. It's the only time of year the whole world listens to Christian music. Totally. Matt, I hate that you even have to defend this right now. I'm like feeling so defensive of you. Uh, it's you know what, but it's okay. I, I don't. I feel like it's good in the sense that like I I like explaining my heart. Mm. Christmas is like it's the most Christian time of year. Yeah. So to me, I understand the call to simplify and the call to get reoriented around the idea of the now and not yet. We're still waiting for the kingdom to be fully realized on on the earth. And we're still waiting for Jesus to return. But we're also getting ready to celebrate his birth. And if people listening to all Ben Crosby all the time. <laughs> right. Gosh, that's to- it's totally fine. Yeah. You know, because it, it, it represents that when you really look at Advent, too, like there's historically these four. There's a every week is centered around different concepts. So the first week is all around hope. Second week's all around peace. Third week's around joy. The fourth week's around love. There's so much unpacking that still needs to be done. Yeah. And it could be done even in the midst of people singing Christmas songs. Mm-hmm. Full disclosure, not a Christmas person. I really tried to like lean into Advent, especially all those years working at the parish, you know. Uh, but this conversation, Matt, is converting me. <laughs> Truly. <laughs> I'm going to try my best <laughs> to enter into Christmas, enter into Advent yeah. with a more expectant heart. You know, for all those like psychological reasons you were talking about dragging in yeah. previous Christmases, previous seasons. But I j- just thank you for that and oh. for this album. I'm sure it's going to be a big part of that for me. So, Well, you know, we have expectations. I think it's part of being a child and it's part of in a good way, like being a child and being a child of God. Mm-hmm. Because God wants us to be expectant about things. And I think what happens is the reality is that those expectations don't get met and often get crushed by other people or the circumstances of life. And so then when all of a sudden the season comes around and it it requests that you be expectant, you're like, why? Why should I be? You know? And I think the magic of the season of, you know, of Advent and into the season of Christmas, which is intrinsically hopeful because the whole world is celebrating the birth of a child and the promise that that brings and the possibilities that that brings. And when that, yeah, that, that time of year now, like it, I'm, I, it's this thing of like, I'll never go through Christmas now and not miss my dad. Mm-hmm. You know, and even looking at my kids and like rediscovering the wonder in their eyes of watching what happens during the Advent season, they were also a big reason why I made this record and then why I wrote the book to go along with it because part of it is this sense of responsibility now as a parent of going like, okay, I got to figure out a way to start to pass these things off. Yeah. And how do I do it? How do you talk about it in a way that a six year old can understand? You know, how do you talk about waiting? How do you talk about hope? How do you talk about peace? So I wrote that book. It's kind of like a bedtime story. 
Where do we get that? Yeah, what? Why is this the first time you're mentioning the book? Well, I, I you know, I'm, I'm getting there. It's just, I'm, I haven't talked about because it it's October. That's why. I <laughs> okay, about, is it going to be out today as well? Yeah, it's out today. What? It's called the Advent of Christmas. You can go to my website too, mattmarmusic.com. Can't wait. What? This is amazing. When I was making the record, I just had the idea of a children's bedtime storybook that talked about the four weeks of Advent and the titles and lyrics of some of the songs were sort of laced in the book. That's so cool. Yeah. You know, you you hear a lot from parents who go like, you're, for whatever reason, like I'm a closet children's entertainer and I don't know it because everyone's like, my kids listen to your music and they just won't let us take the CD (laughs) out of the car. And I feel I'm like happy and and I feel tremendous amounts of guilt all at the same time because (laughs) I have kids. My kids are obsessed right now with the soundtracks of Teen Titans Go. Oh. I take my son to karate two times a week when I'm home and that's literally all we listen to. Wow. Yeah. So 40 minutes in a car. It's just. 40 minutes. Yeah. 20 minutes each way. That's um, sacrificial love. You must love this karate class. Right. <laughs> I love my son in karate class is what I love. And I've seen I, the videos. It's the best. It's the best. Yeah. So, you know, the record and the book is really were kind of designed could, because that's the thing. My kids will have a bedtime storybook and you get in a phase where they're like, hey, let's read this again. Just what they want to read every night. And I just thought, well, this is kind of a great way for parents to have that moment. For me, those are like the most sacred moment of the day that and the end of the day and praying with my wife every day and like putting my kids to bed when I'm home. Yeah. Those are the moments when I hands down, like I feel, I feel closest to God in my vocation Mm -hmm. as a dad to get to put a hand on my child's forehead or give them a hug and talk about their day real quick. I just, I love that time a lot. And, um, so I selfishly did it uh, for me too. And, and in the hopes that it would help other parents. And then and I think the album, it is a real journey still. And I wrote eight originals for it. Wow. And I was just going through a lot and experiencing a lot. And so it came out and there were a lot of really amazing collaborations that happened along the way. I wrote with a lot of different people. Amy Grant sings a song on the record. Wow. Yeah, I'd had the idea to write with her because she's sort of unofficially called the Queen of Christmas. And <laughs> so we wrote one song called I'll Always Carry You. The night before she came over, I was sitting in my studio playing my piano and I started singing this melody and I had basically the first part of the phrase of like, I won't be afraid for your words are true. And then I didn't have a line and it's like, I said, I'll always carry you. Mm. And the idea of it became this idea of a song from the perspective of Mary after the birth of Jesus and thinking about her looking back on what was the experience like for her like as a mother to carry son of God hmm. full term what were the things that she thought experiencing her so I was telling her this idea and she says this line and it just slayed me she's like you never stop carrying your kids yeah. as a mother wow. I think on an emotional level too like as a mom you never stop caring for you never stop having a heart for your kids and so we started writing this song and and there was this line that sort of came out i was like from the moment i believed i've always carried you wow 
it was like kind of this like revelation moment where and we were both crying because it was like this idea of like Mary is the first Christian. She was literally the first person to accept Christ. And she just didn't accept what he did at the cross and accept his saving love. She accepted him, the totality of him, mm -hmm. like into her womb. So for me, it's a real special song. I think getting to collaborate with, with an artist like her, too, it's a real special moment. I I'm that. so excited, Matt. I'm really excited about the children's book. I cannot wait to get it. <laughs> Congratulations to all of my godchildren. Yeah, for sure. I love it. <laughs> Copy of Matt's new book. Matt, thank you so much for coming on and chatting with us today. It was such a gift to have you. You are so welcome. And uh, I'm just so proud of both of you and all of the folks at Blessed Is She and everything that they're doing to help women. It's been honestly, for me, in especially like in the world of ministry, but particularly within the Catholic Church, to see what you guys have done for women, it really is beautiful. And it, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get all emotional. It's really, really inspiring just to see you guys use your gifts in such a powerful way to help make a space for Jesus and the Spirit of God like to do such hopeful work. So I want to say thank you so much and keep going. Thanks, Matt. Thanks. Appreciate that. Would you mind closing us in prayer? Okay. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Father, I thank you so much for this day. And uh, in a special way, even in the middle of October, I thank you for seasons. And I thank you for uh, the upcoming season of Advent and the hope that it can bring, the peace that it can bring, the joy it can bring, and, and the love that it can bring to our hearts, to our families, to our communities. Father, more than ever, we need it. We need all those things. We need Jesus, and we need him to be in our midst. Um, we need love to be incarnated once again. Thank you so much for this time, and we pray that it helped us all in some way grow closer to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Well, thanks so much, both of you. Especially you, Matt. All right. Thank you, guys. Thank you. We'll talk soon. Okay, bye. 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 Thanks so much for gathering with us here on the Blessed Is She podcast. Send over all your questions using the Anchor app. We'd love to hear from you. Connect with us at blessedishe.net slash community and join us on all your favorite social media platforms. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I love Twitter. Until next time.